Every other month, on a Sunday at 7 p.m., 18 very powerful people meet in a conference room, and what they decide affects the entire world. Countdown for blast off. X minus 5, 4, 3, 2, X minus 1, fire. Hello, folks. This is Elton Reads Book a Week, a podcast dedicated to reading a book a week. I am Elton, and I read a book a week. If you like this podcast and you want to see it flourish and prosper, um, you're welcome to contribute to it and become an ongoing partner in this foray into making books interesting again, or at least trying to, I guess. I mean, they were always interesting. Whatever. Every contribution is tossed right back into the podcast for better equipment, better hosting, better platform. Uh, research, writing, costume changes, hairstylists, adult diapers. You can contribute at patreon.com if it suits you uh, under Elton Reads a Book a Week. You can follow the podcast on Facebook at Elton Reads Too Much, on Twitter at Elton Reads a Lot, and on Instagram uh, at Elton Reads a Book a Week. Um, We can talk about the books there what you think about them, if you don't think about them, what you think about me, if you hate me, maybe you do, maybe you don't, I don't know. Anything that tickles your fancy is fine to talk about there. I'll be around. Hit me up. But for now, this week's book is called Tower of... It's pronounced a bunch of different ways, so I'm going to go with the German way. It's called the Tower of Baal, or um, the Tower of Basel uh, in German. I don't know. It's, It's in Switzerland. So I'm going to go with the German way, because why not? Uh, It's a book, according to the cover, about the shadowy history of a secret bank that runs the world. And about kittens. Yeah, fluffy, lovable kittens. It's not also about kittens. But I mean, they should have included something like that, because, I mean, this book is about Nazis and ripping gold out of Jewish prisoners. And sell and using it in trade, it's it's awful what they do. Anyway, they could have made an attempt to balance it out. Is all I'm saying. Okay, the uh, the conference room I mentioned earlier overlooks the central Basel train station in Switzerland. The initial discussion between those powerful men lasts for about an hour or a little over that. Anyway, then the meetings close. Any aides or assistants they have, they leave. And then dinner is served. Now it's during this meal that the real work is done. It goes on until about 11 o'clock at night. Then the next day there are more meetings, lunches, they laugh. Everything is catered, of course, by Switzerland's finest chefs. They have limos, nice hotel stays. I don't know, they exchange emails, take selfies. It's like a Swiss club med for crusty central banker types. Now there's an understanding that everything said during these meetings and get-togethers is strictly confidential and not to be repeated anywhere. The minutes, the agenda, the actual attendance, uh, who's in attendance, um, they're never released in any form. And like I said before, it's located in a secret bank, kind of, that is completely removed from any governmental or political control. Now it sounds like a conspiracy, Mostly because it sounds like a fucking conspiracy. 
The location? Secret? Check. Uh, suspected villains? Check. Are they pulling figurative levers that manipulate the world? Check. Now, a shadowy meeting uh, in a secret place that's attended by powerful men to discuss and manipulate systems that affect the whole world? But this shit is real. It's not some made-up conspiracy bullshit. It's real. No kidding. This secret bank even has its own webpage. No shit. The bank is called the uh, Bank of International Settlements, or BIS for short. The men that go to these meetings, and they're almost all men, they are central bankers from around the world. The meetings decide policy regarding the global financial system that we all participate in. Payment systems and uh, international markets are also discussed. The world's response to the global crisis, uh, the financial meltdown and all that, in 2008, the response was determined during meetings there. They determined what financial instruments they would use when interest rates were close to zero, how policy would be communicated to the public and such. It might even be said that the ideas, suggestions, and deals that they made at those meetings and continue to make at these meetings, they affect monetary policy in countries all over the world. But we don't know because they don't release any information as to what they're talking about during those meetings. For all we know, they're discussing porn stars and Pokemon. Who the fuck knows? But... Given that they're all bankers and such, and, and central bankers at that, and they run like the Federal Reserve, we're pretty sure that they're not talking about Pokemon. Now, what does that mean for you and every day, you know, bumping to you on the street corner? Can you believe that fucking guy farted in the elevator? Regular person? Like, what does that mean to me and you? If you're in a country with a central bank who also happens to be a member of the BIS, which most countries that have central banks are, it means that things discussed at those secretive meetings could affect the price you pay for things at the store. It could affect the price of auto loan rates and a lot more. That's because the cost and availability of money, which uh, central banks usually set, affects people's willingness to pay for goods and services. Uh, when money's plentiful, there's more demand and prices tend to rise. They affect the job market, which raises the federal funds rate. It tends to slow the economy. That leads to fewer people being hired. They also have less leeway to demand pay raises. This lack of power to bargain for higher wages is seen as a way to fight inflation. Like in my case, I'm a U.S. citizen, so the Federal Reserve sets monetary policy, and its director attends those meetings every two months. Just so we're clear, again, this is all real. The price you pay for shit at the store is affected by secret meetings held in a bank in Switzerland. Despite how much of the world is affected by their decisions, everything is confidential and kept behind high levels of security. The Swiss authorities have no jurisdiction over that building. Authorities need permission from the bank to enter it. The bank has the right to communicate in code. No shit. They can send and receive mail in bags covered by the same protection as embassies, meaning they can't be opened. It's also exempt from taxes. Its employees don't have to pay income tax on their salaries. The bank's legal privileges also extend to its staff and directors. Their bags can't be searched, and their papers are uh, inviolable, which means uh, they can't be touched or looked at. During the bi-monthly meetings, everyone attending those meetings enjoy the same status for life. The bank has high-tech sprinkler systems with multiple backups, in-house medical facilities, and its own bomb shelter in the event of a terrorist attack or armed assault. 
the bank's assets are not subject to civil claims under Swiss law, meaning they can never be sued or seized. The minutes and the agenda, the actual attendance list of the meetings, are never, ever released. They're never published, ever. Well, I won't say ever, ever. I'll get to that in a little bit. Now, I have to say again, this is all 100% real. All of those nonsense videos you watch on YouTube about conspiracies that are usually clickbait or just total horseshit like Apollo moon conspiracies and fake landings. It's ridiculous. That's all bullshit. Most of it is bullshit. But now you know of one that's completely real. There is a secret bank that rules the world. Tell your friends and have them cower in fear. And maybe, well, maybe not. Okay, maybe the bank doesn't rule the world. But it makes some pretty hefty decisions about the, the money that runs it. You might be wondering, who owns this thing? Who runs it? When does this happen? I'm confused and scared. Scared, do you understand? Shit, did I shit my pants? Great. I just shit my pants. Are you happy, Elton? Are you? What the fuck, man? All right, settle down. Okay? I'll tell you a little. I'll tell you about it, okay? I'm not giving you the whole farm, as I expose my country bumpkin roots by saying that. I'll tell you the initial real purpose of the Bank of International Settlements was detailed in its statutes. To promote the cooperation of central banks and to provide additional facilities for international financial operations. It was the culmination of every central banker's wet dream. A bank of their own that was all-powerful, independent, and free from politics and investigative reporting. Best of all, it's self-financed by its own founders and shareholders, the central banks. But they also guide their own operations. So, the BIS argues that central banks should control the flow of credit, the volume of currency in circulation, and keep exchange rates within manageable bands so that currency values don't rise or dip, thereby screwing the whole fucking world economy. The grand, weirdly true global conspiracy started way back at the end of uh, World War I. For those of us who discovered uh, ass grass and cash before a love of knowledge and history. Here's a brief uh, recap of World War I. <clears throat> there was a first world war. I'm kidding, there's more to that. Uh, the sides were the central powers consisting of uh, Austria-Hungary, Germany, Bulgaria, uh, and the Ottoman Empire. The allies, uh, who were Serbia, Russia, France, and the United Kingdom, Italy, Belgium, and the U.S. of A. If you aren't up to current events, or uh, are currently uneducated in world events. Spoiler alert, the central powers lost. So naturally, when you're dealing with the aftermath of violent death en masse, uh, bombed out people and properties, destroyed hopes and dreams, you demand restitution. And how do you want that restitution? You want it in cold, hard cash. Or, uh, or Papier marks. Uh, Deutschmarks weren't the official currency of Germany, until 1948 through 1990. And later, the unified Germany from 1990 until 2002. It was first issued uh, under Allied occupation in 1948 to replace the Reichmark. Now Germany uses the Euro. See that? I'm a giver, man. That was a brief history of German currency. Now you can make your stupid friends look more stupid by throwing it in their stupid faces. Bunch of fucking stupids. Each of the defeated powers was required to make payments in either cash or kind because the financial situation of Austria, Hungary, and Turkey found themselves in, after the war, 
meaning they were flat-ass broke. Few to no reparations were paid, and the requirements for reparations were canceled. Bulgaria, having paid only a fraction of what was required, saw its reparation figure reduced, then canceled. Historians have recognized the German requirement to pay reparations as the chief battleground of the post-war era, and the focus of the power struggle between France and Germany over whether the Versailles Treaty was to be enforced or revised. Given the nature of the World War beast, and the fact that everyone was super pissed, Germany had its financial feet held to the fire for reparations. Yet the powers that be weren't willing to trust anyone, really, with getting the money from them. So, how would you make sure they paid up on time and in full? In walks the Bank of International Settlements, with a suitcase and a smile. Born out of reparations negotiations, chaired by two Americans, Charles Dawes and Owen Young. I don't think they're... never mind. Its first presidents, Gates, Magara, and Leon Frazier, were American too. Just for... Uh, it was set up to get the reparations, but not exactly like that. It was created as a non-specific third party that would accept German reparations and distribute them according to international agreements. The BIS wouldn't be beholden to any specific country and would and could operate outside their jurisdictions and not be subject to their laws. And then the official bank of Satan was born. Conspiracy theory, spooky stuff, Satan, Satan, conspiracy, Templars, devil, Satan, blah, 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 New World Order, Masons. Oh, oh, wait, shit, there's another one. Hold on. Uh, Oh, Illuminati, triangle, upside down cross, pyramid with an all-seeing eye, Illuminati, and Jay-Z. I was overcome with the spirit of stupid-ass internet conspiracy. Please forgive me. So the BIS was set up for German reparation payments to be paid out after World War I. That was it. After the payments and the problems attached to them were all said and done and everything was fulfilled, it should have ended the BIS. And it should have been disbanded. It wasn't, of course, because it's here today. Because uh, when you give a dog a bone, it's dream bone. It'll fucking rip your arm off should you try to yank it away. But with financial people. And far more civilized. You get it. The bank changed gears and offered something new to to stay around. And what was it? I'll talk about that in a minute. First, Nazis. After the reparations, the BIS had no business being open. Germany had polished off its payments. So the BIS should have shut down. It didn't, however... Instead, it was used as a back channel for the Nazis to launder plundered gold and as well to pay and get paid by the rest of the world, including the United States. Yep, that's right. American companies worked and supported Nazis during World War II. And we're not talking about some fly-by-night shady company storefronts or something worked by guys in trench coats who pulled up their collars and twisted their mustaches doing the whole mwah-ah-ah-ah. Nope. Companies like Ford and General Motors were doing this. General Motors' German division produced the Blitz truck, on which the Wehrmacht invaded Poland. Ford's German subsidiary produced almost half of all the two- and three-ton trucks in Nazi Germany. According to the book, there's a strong argument that without GM and Ford's German subsidiaries, the Nazis would not have been able to wage war. 
Hitler was an enthusiastic supporter of the German motor industry's methods of mass production. He kept a portrait of Henry Ford by his desk. In 1938, Henry Ford was awarded the Grand Cross of the German Eagle. That's the highest honor Nazis can bestow on a foreigner. The following month, James Mooney, who ran General Motors overseas operations, was also awarded a high Nazi honor. Hell, the SS used one of IBM's prototype computers to keep a record of Jewish properties and their subsequent Aryanization, meaning they turned things owned by Jews into things run by Aryans. And IBM's Hollerith machine helped to speed up the organization of the Holocaust. Later, Thomas Watson, the boss of IBM, was awarded the Merit Cross of the German Eagle. I, uh, I imagine that probably doesn't come up in too many IBM promotional brochures and materials. Have a Holocaust that needs to be expedited and organized quickly? IBM, let's put smart into work. So it went like that for a while. The Nazis using the BIS to funnel gold they plundered from other countries or pulled from the homes, businesses, and teeth of enslaved, persecuted people. Then, using it to pay off varying companies and countries who probably should have known better. Despite leaders in the U.S. finding out about the BIS and the U.S. companies that worked with it, and how it was being backdoored supplied uh, with equipment, gold, and resources. And, and they did object to it. The American director in charge of the BIS, however, brokered agreements to guarantee German companies post-war profits and to help German industrialists avoid the financial consequences of the breakup of pre-war cartels. Overall, the BIS has been behind some nasty fucking shit that went down during uh, World War II. Yet they remained hidden behind the bank's wall of secrecy, only to be discovered later, much later. The BIS does release information about its dealings, but only years and years and years and years after it's said and done. And even then, it has to be requested and researched privately. Not everything the BIS did was sketchy, horrible, and detestable, of course. I mean, no, sometimes the mutual trust built over those lunches and dinners and meetings and proved crucial to stabilizing the global financial system. Take, for instance, the day President Kennedy was shot. While the world watched in horror as the day's events unfolded, and they heard reports coming in about the terrible thing that happened to the U.S. president, the BIS, the BIS did what any international institution would have done in a situation like that. It focused on the immediate defense of the dollar. Other than being a horribly sad day, it also triggered panic selling on the stock market. To balance it out, it was decided that the U.S. should sell massive amounts of foreign currency to defend the dollar. It also acted to stabilize sterling, or uh, Britain's money, which was a reserve currency. A reserve currency is a currency that is held in significant quantities by governments and institutions as part of their foreign exchange reserves. The reserve currency is commonly used in international transactions, international investments, and all aspects of the global economy. It means it's money recognized and valued outside of its country of origin and can be used to pay for things in other countries. How did it stabilize uh, their sterling? It arranged a loan among a few central banks and itself to the Bank of England. The bank now coordinated a long-term strategic rescue of one of the world's reserve currencies, which if you didn't know, is a hefty, huge, big fucking deal. The BIS is a unique institution. It's an international organization, an extremely profitable bank, a research institute, 
founded and protected by international treaties. The BIS was at the heart of the European Integration Project. It hosted the Governor's Committee of European Economic Community, Central Bankers. Uh, it set up in 1964, which coordinated trans-European monetary policy. During the 80s, it laid out the path to the adoption of a single currency in Europe, or the Euro. It hosts four of the most important international committees dealing with global banking. The, uh, the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision, the Committee on the Global Financial System, the Committee on Payment and Settlement Systems, and the Irving Fisher Committee, which deals with central banking stats. It's the world's 30th largest holder of gold reserves, 199 metric tons. That's more than Qatar, Brazil, or Canada. Membership of the BIS remains a privilege rather than a right. So not all countries are represented. China, India, Russia, and Saudi Arabia joined in 1996. Countries have to be considered for membership. Yet things decided in those meetings surely affect their economies as well. You would think that with such a horrible backstory, people in general would want to power down a Goliath bank like the BIS. Instead, the bank is pivoted, yet again, to represent something else. Now it's touted as a, an educational center for the expansion of knowledge for global financial systems. It trains people, new people, to the central banking system. It works in and helps to uh, promote and create a little bit. It teaches them in the ways of the global financial force, if you're into poorly applied Star Wars metaphors. All in all, for me, it's a bit too opaque. Given the bank's severely sketchy history, man, it should be far more open for what it's involved in. On top of that, there should at least be some accountability somehow. I don't know how that would work, but if you're a hub of the international money slash exchange slash globalized banking system, I think a little transparency is in order. It's an asshole thing to say with, uh, with heavily implied pimp tech language, but uh, those bitches are fucking with our money. Is it right that things are secretly discussed behind closed doors that have very real and discernible impact on millions of lives? No. No, it's not. Something should be done about it. Where do you begin to protest something like that? The internet? Think if Kim Kardashian got on board? It would get anywhere? Shit, maybe Kanye, huh? Anyway, I actually like this book a lot. Labor did a great job of making the unbelievable history of a financial institution extremely interesting. It's actually a nice page-turner about the history of a bank. Sounds insane, right? But given the subject matter, it's even more insane. The stuff in this book will blow your mind, and the fact that it's all completely real is even more fucking nuts. It just made me wonder what the hell else is out there affecting my life that I don't know about. What conspiracy theories might have some factual weight to them? Uh, I, I mean, okay, don't, don't think I'm advocating for conspiracy theories and that shit. 9-11 wasn't an inside job any more than aliens crashing at fucking Roswell. That's all horse shit. Though this book will have me scrutinizing systems that I never thought too much about. Big Pharma? Yeah. I mean, nefarious trade policies... Maybe. Oreo cookies? Yeah. Well, that'll do it for this week. I, as always, I had fun. If you uh, if you liked what you heard and want to be part of it and keep it chugging, 
Uh, contribute on Patreon.com to uh, Elton Reads a Book a Week. All the goodies are there for you to check out. If it's not enough, I mean, hit me up and let me know what I can do. Maybe change it up a bit. Add some stuff. Who knows? I'm all ears. Any suggestions you have, kick it over to me. I'll look at it. We can discuss it. Me and you. You and me. Be sure to follow uh, follow the podcast on Facebook and such, too. I work those to death. And I'd be overjoyed to hear from you. Hey, thanks for listening. Sincerely. I'm glad you did. Oh, and before you go, listen. Read more books, huh? Don't let them die out. Thanks again. Bye.